You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today in the message, we're going to talk about the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus. And we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, and then uh, towards the end, we're going to look at two different stories in the Bible that stood out to me this week because both of these stories, uh, it's the only time you ever see Jesus uh, marvel at something. You see Jesus, in fact, uh, that word marvel can, can also be translated to be surprised. And of course, as God, he's never surprised, but uh, as fully man uh, in his humanity, he could be surprised or marvel at something. There's only two things that ever say that Jesus marveled, and we're going to look at those in just a moment. But before we do, I want us to start in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, talking about the fullness of Jesus, Paul the Apostle's writing to the believers in Colossae, and here's what he tells them. He says, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Listen, you need somebody praying for you. Every one of us needs somebody. We need to be that for others, but we need somebody. I need that. You need that. Every one of us needs somebody praying for us. That's why our groups are so important, because it creates opportunity for you to not have to do life alone, but for you to be surrounded with family, surrounded with people who are going to fight for you, pray for you, pray for your marriage, pray for your kids, pray for your future and your potential, pray for your calling, pray for what God has for your life, that, that we need to be praying for each other when we're in difficult seasons, when we are, are, are falling down. We need somebody to lift us up. Everyone needs someone to pray for them. That's what the church is to be. He says, I don't cease to pray for you and to ask that you may, here's what he prays, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that you may be filled in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he's conveyed us or transferred us, repositioned us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The last two verses I want to read from the New Living Translation as well. It says, for he has rescued us. That's Jesus. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us in the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. God, through Christ, through Jesus, has done these four things. When we talk about, and, and we're going to read more of this chapter, but this chapter has a very sweeping, amazing, beautiful portrait of the fullness of Jesus. And no matter what what you've seen or what you've known, what you've heard, what you've been told about Jesus, there's so much more. His word unfolds so much more. In fact, I love the story of the Apostle John, who for three and a half years after Jesus called him to follow him and be made a fisher of men, John followed Jesus and he saw his miracles. He heard him teach. He, he was close, probably closer than any of the other disciples to Jesus. He was even there. He was the only one who was there at his crucifixion. Of all the disciples, everyone else left. All of his closest followers left except John and a few others. And John beholds so many aspects of who Jesus was. But one day when he wrote the book of Revelation, he saw something different about Jesus he had never seen before. 
and it moved him to worship. It took his breath away. It, he, he fell on the floor. It says like a dead man. He was overcome because he saw something about Jesus that was bigger and, and different than he had even seen before. And I want to today, my, my goal, my hope is that whatever you've seen and known about Jesus, that he would unfold it in larger view, that Jesus would become greater than your fear, that Jesus would become greater than your shame, that Jesus would become greater than the battle you're in or the fight you're in or the pain you feel, that you would have a bigger view of Jesus than anything else in your life. Do you know the mission of the church is actually to know him, to experience him, to walk with him, to know him, to grow in knowing him, but it's also to make him known to the world. We, we say it like this here, that our, our, our message is Jesus. If, if you ever come to River City Church, you're going to hear about Jesus because that's why we exist is so that we can point to the one who can save, who can restore, who can redeem, who can do all the things that I just read. And if you're taking notes, I wanna go through these quickly. The very first one, and we'll keep it on the screen for a few moments. Jesus does what I just read to you. Jesus qualifies. Jesus qualifies. I, I, I meet people all the time that say, I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel capable. I, I don't know if I can follow God like I need to. I, 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 don't, I don't feel like I belong in the house of God. I, there's all kinds of reasons why, and I believe every one of them is a lie meant to keep us from knowing the reality that it's not us who qualifies us. It's not our history. It's not our, our own abilities. It's not our own ex religious experience and how long we've even been in the room and how we've been in church, but it's on how many pies we've made for the church potluck. Keep making the pies. We haven't had a potluck yet anyway. But, but here's, here's what happens. The, what qualifies you and me is and always has been only Jesus. But what's beautiful about this is it says he qualifies us. No matter what your history, no matter what your story, no matter where you've been, it says he qualifies you to be a partaker of the inheritance that you and I received what we never deserved. I, I think when we lose sight of the grace of God and what he's given to us in Jesus, we forget to be grateful. And we, be, we move from gratitude to entitlement whenever we lose sight of the fact that we received in Jesus what we never deserved, that we were given while we ran from God because of sin. And I did it. We ran from God. He loved us enough to go after us. And the next one is he rescues us. He rescues. It says that he qualified us and he delivered us. God, through Jesus, delivered us from, what does it say he delivered us from? He delivered us or rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Now, now that may sound pretty intense, but what it means is that before Jesus, you and I were under the influence and authority and even the rule of something other than God. And the way that looks in the world, we see the effects of it. We see a fallen world bound and broken by sin. And because of sin, we gave humanity, gave its authority to the wrong thing, to the enemy, to darkness, to the things that, are, that, that we were not created for. And so that's why in so many of our lives, there's things we want to be free from, but we struggle to find freedom in. When I was a kid, I, my, my grandfather's story, I've shared this for those of you who've been in church a while here, you've heard me say this, but my grandfather had such a unique uh, childhood. He grew up on Alcatraz Island. Uh, not because he was a convict either, but because his dad was a prison guard. And so from the age of six to 16, he lived on Alcatraz Island in an apartment. 
And so he was there during several riots and prison outbreaks, and there were several things. And so he had such a unique childhood. And Alcatraz, if you don't know, was the at the time the most serious maximum security uh, prison in the nation, housed the, the most famous, infamous criminals in the nation at the time. And, and yet he was just, you know, a stone's throw away from most of them. And so when I grew up, I would go out there with our family to go visit him in, in that area, and we'd go take tours. And this is how long ago this was. I, I took the tour with the cassette tape, you know, the cassette tape tours, where you get the little earmuff headphones, and, and you push play on the cassette player, and some of you are going to have to explain to your kids later what a cassette is. And, and so I'd listen to that, and in the tour... They would take you through several uh, famous prison cells of different people like Al Capone and different people who were thought to have escaped and all this. And so, so you'd walk into these prison cells and you could experience a measure of what they experienced. But the difference between them and me, the difference between Al Capone there and me was very different because his doors stayed shut, mine was open. And I could leave any time I was ready. And can I just tell you what Jesus has done? He's broken the power and authority of darkness and sin and and everything that's held and overcome you and I. And he's flung wide the door open and any one of us can find freedom in Jesus. He rescues. He repositioned. So not only did he deliver us from, but it says he conveyed us or transferred us. So, So he, some of us know what he saved us from but we don't know what he saved us for. We know he saved us from hell, from sin, from death. And and he saved us, of course, for a home in heaven. But can I tell you, he saved you for his kingdom, for his purpose, for his future that he's created for each one of us. And so he saved you. And, And so many people in their Christian experience don't experience, I believe, the fullness of Jesus. They start at the entry point. They respond to an invitation to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that's the main thing. If you get nothing else, start there. But for too many of us, we receive that, and we stay there, and we, we treat it like we've got our fire insurance. And we stay at the entry point of the Christian life and never realize that the kingdom is like a great big house, a great big mansion. And you don't, aren't just meant to stay at the doorway. You aren't just meant to stay in the lobby, in the foyer, and marvel at what's at the entry point. And I'm thankful for what Jesus did in saving you and me. But he didn't just save us from, he saved us for. And his house is full. One of the other things I like to do as a kid besides visiting my grandpa was go, I grew up in Vegas. And Vegas, my favorite thing as a kid to do in Vegas, because the only thing I could probably legally do as a kid in Vegas, was go to the buffet. And I love the buffet. Oh man, when when we went to the first couple of buffets they had, I I, I went to I went to uh, it was I think it was the Rio buffet. Uh, some of you are like I've never heard of that. Yeah, so so it was amazing, and they had the best seafood and they had the best food. But the thing I loved was the desserts. I'm going to make somebody hungry in here. I love the cream puffs and the cake and the pie and the ice cream and the jello and all the things. And I would go back for more. And no matter how much I got, there was still more. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. No matter how much I've received and no matter how much you've experienced, there is still more. He repositions. He took us from one place to another. It's a change of position. The last thing there is he redeems. So so it says that he has redeemed us. He's purchased us. We are forgiven of our sins. We're redeemed. And, and that's redemption is to buy back, to purchase. And God, what's amazing about the grace of God is God who created us 
paid for us. So, so not only did he create us in his image and love us and, and give us a purpose, but when we chose sin over God, chose a way, our own way of, uh, apart from God, God still loved us enough to pay for and buy back what was already his. And that's what redemption looks like. It's when value is restored. It's when somebody pays a price. And, and redemption is, of course, the forgiveness of our sins, but redemption itself is when God takes any area of our life that have become ashes and he turns it into beauty. Maybe today you need redemption in your family, in your relationships, in your marriages, in, in, in your future, in your calling. You need redemption because what you see looks like failure. What you see looks like loss. But God is in the business of restoration. Point number two is you can grow in knowing the fullness of Jesus. You can grow in that. In fact, what did Paul pray for the church? We already read it. He prayed for them, and here's, here's what he prayed. He prayed five or six things specifically, but let me just go through a couple of them. First, he said, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. So how can we know the will of God for our lives? Well, I've told you this before, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's in, it starts with God's word. So religion has taken the will of God and separated from our ability to know it and say, well, it's just some big mystery. And so we don't pray in confidence because we don't know, is this the will of God? And, and I believe that, you know, Bible says itself that God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So, so, I need to know what his word says, not because of some religious exercise, because I need to memorize information, but because I need to know who he is, see his fullness, and be filled with his will. And so when I get to know, so when I read the word, I'm looking for him. When I read the word, I'm looking at Jesus. When I read the word, I'm looking at what, his, what is possible through Jesus, what his will is. And so... So, so we can grow in knowing him, knowing his will. And the result of that is these things. Here's what growth looks like. All of us start at, at, at this place of being qualified, at this place of being redeemed, at this place of being repositioned. All of us, every one of us, the person who got saved 10 seconds ago and the person that's been saved for 30 years, we all start there. But you can actually grow in, what does he say? Walking fully pleasing to him. See, before Jesus, I didn't, can I just be honest? I wasn't thinking about the will of God for my life. I was living for me. I was living for my own self-interest. And that's where the world itself is. Until we realize that we're actually created, not even to please other people and not even for our own interests, but to live for the one who created us. That's why we're still empty when we're pursuing everything. We live in a time where we have access to more stuff, more things, more resource, more entertainment, and we're not more happy. We're not more peaceful. We're not more fulfilled. Because you'll never find fulfillment apart from fully pleasing him, living to please God, living for God, living for his purpose. The next thing he, he prays is, he says, he, he prays that they'd be fruitful. Because success in the world is measured differently. I can be successful in the eyes of the world and not be successful in God's eyes because the purpose, the, 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 what kingdom success looks like is fruitfulness. Then my life and your life produces what God created us to produce. 
And, and you're created to be fruitful. You're created not to just be having activity and be busy, but to actually have fruitfulness, to have something that, that comes forth from that. And so that's why he prays for that, for the church. He says that you'd be strengthened. Strength comes from growing in knowledge of God. The more I know him, the more I have the strength I need to overcome. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, so the more I know him, the more I know what I have and what you have. And then he, he wraps up with this. He says, and, and be thankful. <laughs> that this attitude of, of being thankful is what keeps our focus and attention on the one who's the source of all of these things. Because I can't do any of these on my own. I can't be fruitful on my own. I can't even, I can't even live to fully please God unless I have his help the help of the Holy Spirit to work in me what is good and pleasing to God, to let me know what grieves the heart of God and what's, what's a part of his will and purpose. Let's go back to Colossians. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Paul gives this sweeping, beautiful picture of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus. It says that he, Jesus, is the, invi- the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him, by Jesus, All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. What we see and what's a part of the world that's not seen, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all of it, all things were created, listen to this, through Jesus, through him and for him. So that means everything in my life, including my life, Listen, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who shaped the galaxies and the stars, that same very God, that same Jesus, it says, you're created by him and for him. You can know him. He's not distant. He's not separate. He's not far. In fact, Jesus, what separates the, the Bible, but, but the good news of Jesus from every other religion and belief system in the world is that everything is man trying to fix man, man trying to get to heaven, man trying to, to, to please an unknown God, man trying to find relief from his pain and his experience. And yet in the good news, we see that heaven came down. Jesus came for you. You're created through him and for him. And he's before all things and in him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence of the first place above everything else. For it pleased the father, listen to this, that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. So, so if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's will is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's promises look like, because they're all yes and amen in Jesus. So we need to, I think, have a bigger view of Jesus as the church. And so so in him, all the fullness should dwell. He's fully God and fully man. By him, as fully man and fully God, by him to reconcile, make all things right, all things to himself by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his Christ. So, so Jesus paid the price because the greatest need everyone has is the need to be saved from our sins, what separates us from God, and Jesus paid the price in offering his life. 
Third and final point is you are meant to experience the fullness of Jesus. So we can grow in knowing, but we're actually meant to experience it. And I want to give you two stories. I told you at the beginning, we're going to look at two stories that were moments where it says Jesus was marveled. And, and, and here's the first one. The first one was negative. The second one was positive. Uh, Mark chapter six, beginning in verse two, when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now this isn't just any synagogue. This is his hometown, Nazareth. It's where Jesus spent the better part of his adolescence and, and growing up in his earthly ministry. So these are people, Nazareth is not a huge community. Nazareth is a small enough town that everybody knows Jesus. They're familiar with Jesus. They've seen Jesus. They've seen Mary and, 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 and the kids that Mary had with Joseph. And, 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 and they've seen the family. They've seen those people. But they've already pre-decided who Jesus is based on their familiarity. They've already decided who this Jesus is. And Jesus shows up to town after he's been preaching and doing miracles and sharing his word. He shows up to Nazareth and it says, this is their response. Where did this man get these things? And, and what wisdom is this which was given to him? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. So they're hearing what he's saying. They're seeing what he's doing. But their response is not to believe, to trust, and to follow. They know enough about Jesus, but they've already so predecided who he is that this is their response. Isn't that the carpenter son? <laughs> Be careful when what you know keeps you from what you need to know. <laughs> isn't that isn't that Mary's son? Isn't that, you know, we we know we know the family. But what they think they know about Jesus is keeping them from saying, no, he's the son of God. That's where he got the stuff you're hearing and seeing. <laughs> and why is this important? Well, watch what it says. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. What's he saying? He's saying to honor is to hold in high esteem. And so he's basically pointing to, it was, a, it was a proverb at the time, that that's basically saying, you're so familiar that you're not willing to honor or hold in esteem the one who's in front of you. And, and, and this is the problem. They didn't esteem Jesus because they were familiar with Jesus. And it wasn't anything in Jesus that was wrong. Like some people, like you've heard it, the expression, don't get to know your heroes. Like there's some people you lift, you, 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 you have this picture perfect idea until you get to know them behind the scenes and then you find out they're people just like you. They got issues. Maybe they're rude. You know, you like their music, but they treat people like garbage or you, you, you hear what I'm saying? They can throw a great touchdown, but <laughs> so, so there's, there's sometimes because people are fallible, but there's nothing in Jesus that would make them feel this way. But it's their own idea about Jesus who's without sin. They look at Jesus and they've already predecided they've put him in a box. And it's keeping them from the fullness of Jesus. It says, verse five, five, five and six, this to me is one of the saddest things in all of the gospels. He, Jesus, could do no mighty work there. 
except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now listen, in some churches, that's revival right there. (laughs) But the Bible uses that as the low end of the measuring stick. Uh, Only a few. In other words, there was a limit. And what was the limit? We're going to find out in verse 6. And Jesus marveled. He was astounded because of their unbelief. You know, it doesn't say this about any other place he would go. It doesn't say it about the great cities that were filled with the Romans. And 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 it doesn't say that any of the places Jesus went, well, Jesus could do no mighty works there because there was too many sinners in town. It didn't say that Jesus could do no mighty work there because the wrong people were in charge. It didn't say any of the things that we usually use to categorize and say, well, God can move because this is good. (laughs) The only time it ever says that is right here because of their unbelief. What's unbelief? If it's that big of a deal, what is it? Well, by definition, it's the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of putting your trust But I I think it can also be understood as misplaced faith. Faith in something other than God. So, So shame is something that causes me to look at myself instead of Jesus. And my own inability instead of his ability. There's a lot of people, Christians, believers, who don't pray in faith because of shame. Because they feel like they're not forgiven, even though they've received forgiveness. They're, they feel like they're not changed. They, they feel like they're not worthy, even though he's qualified them. They just don't feel like anything can be different. And shame is misplaced faith. It's faith in you, not in Jesus. Fear is misplaced faith. It's faith in the problem or the pain or the issue or the opposition or the, the, the battle, <laughs> rather than the God who gives victory that we sang about today. So there's lots of things, but you know what? I think the most dangerous is what the Nazareth, the people of Nazareth had. This was the source of their unbelief. They were overly familiar with Jesus. And they constructed in their own hearts and minds a limit and couldn't see Jesus any other way. They were, they they go, no, this is the, and it says they were offended at him. When they said, isn't that Mary's son? They became offended. That, that word in Greek is scandalizo, which where we get scandalized. They were scandalized. All the people were talking about it. Who does this Jesus think he is? And they're trying to bring Jesus down to a level they can understand, criticize, and maybe try to control. Do you know what religion does? Religion gets enough of Jesus to not be changed by him. It gets enough of Jesus to not be, to not, to not be transformed. It sings the songs, but it, the, the heart's far from God. And, and if I could just speak to every believer in here that's been a Christian for any length of time, there's a danger in accepting a form of godliness, but disconnecting from the power. And it's whenever we try to reduce Jesus in our own minds, our own hearts, from any other place than the one I described in Colossians that he deserves. 
that in all things he would have preeminence. In all things that were made through him, it would also be given to him. So, so whenever anything else takes that place, and I don't know why it did for them, they just had reduced him to that place in their own minds and their own eyes. And as a result, it says he could do no mighty works there. There's one more story. Matthew chapter 8. It's the second time Jesus marveled at somebody. In Nazareth, he marveled because of their unbelief. And if anybody was positioned to believe, to trust, to follow Jesus, it was Nazareth. Like, I don't know any of us that would turn down spending 33 and a half years, 33 years, or 30 years to be around Jesus. And these people have grown up around him. They've seen him. They've, they've heard his words. And yet they're shocked because they've tried to put him in a box. <laughs> but then there's another person. And, and, and the people in Nazareth, they're insiders. They're the church crowd. They're Israelites. They're Hebrews. They're Jews. They're, they're part of the covenants of, of God with Israel. And yet they miss the one who gave those covenants. <laughs> but then there's an outsider He's a centurion. In Matthew 8, let me read it to you. Matthew 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. The centurion is a Roman soldier. He's a Roman commander. The Romans were the enemy. (laughs) And, And here's what happens. He comes to Jesus pleading with him. He says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Centurion answered and he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Not might, not could. He says, he will. My servant, just speak a word. My servant will be healed for I also, here's the basis of his confidence. He says, I'm also a man under authority. That is, he's a, he has people over him in authority. Having soldiers also under me as a centurion. And I say to this one, go. And he goes and another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. <laughs> so he's, he's recognizing, he's saying, all you have to do, Jesus, is just say the word. Just say the word. I know the situation is bad. My servant is dreadfully tormented and I don't have an answer. But Jesus, you just, you don't even have to come in the house. I'm a Gentile. I'm not even worthy for you to come in the house. Just speak the word. He knows authority in an earthly sense because when he gives an order, his his troops carry it out. And when he sees Jesus, he sees heaven's authority. He sees the one in whom all authority has been given. And at his word, everything changes. And Jesus hears the word of this Roman centurion, an enemy, a Gentile, an outsider. And he says, I, it says he marveled. He, he's, he's astounded. There's two things that made Jesus marvel. One was unbelief. Here's the other one. It says... I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. So, so who did Jesus know in Israel? Well, he knew, he knew Mary. 
He knew John the Baptist. He knew his disciples. He knew his followers and the crowds and the Pharisees and the religious elite and the high priest. He knew everybody in Israel. And he says, I've never seen in all of Israel what I'm seeing in this guy. Do you know what that tells me? It doesn't matter if you're an insider or an outsider. It doesn't mean it matter if you grew up in church your whole life or if you've never stepped foot in the doors. His word is what changes things. His name is what moves mountains. He's the one. And that's what the centurion had great faith in. He put his trust in the authority of Jesus. I shared this example in first service. I'm inspired by the fact that my student ministries pastors are wearing competing jerseys today. Please pray for the Simmons household. One's a Bucks fan, one's a Packer fan. I mean, just pray for the Packer fans in general. Anyway, I'm sorry. Okay, but, but, but here's... <laughs> But here's what, here's what, I shared this first service a couple weeks ago, and when there's a problem with a call, and a referee has to, or a referee makes a call, there's a, there's a bad play, something happens that violates the rules, the referee makes a decision. They'll confer, they'll discuss, sometimes they'll send it upstairs for further review, and then they'll come out and say something like this, after a call is overturned, they'll say upon further review, and then they'll make the declaration of what the change is. So, so if, if there was a challenge on a call, let's say they made a bad call and, and the coach throws a challenge, whatever it is, and then they come back, some of you are like, that is not how football works. That's okay. But, but here's what the referee says, upon further review, there's some stuff right now in your life that God's word is meant to confront, transform. There's some enemies that it's meant to bring down. There's some discouragement that's meant to lift. And upon further review of his word, everything changes. And it's the word of Jesus. Watch what happens. Very last verse, verse 13. Jesus said, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that very hour, that very hour, the very moment somebody said, Jesus, I fully trust you. Jesus, I know your word changes things. You just speak the word. Jesus marveled and said, I've not seen faith like this anywhere. One response, see, there's two responses for, for those of us who are in the house. We can be like the Nazareth people, be like the community that got so familiar with Jesus. We're coming into the colder season and you know they recommend people get flu shots. You know what a flu shot is? It's enough of the virus to protect or inoculate you against the virus. And some of us have enough of Jesus, enough religion, that when the real thing steps into the room, we're no longer moved by it. We're not affected by it. Okay, come on, church. You're not quite with me yet. We have all kinds of boxes. I hear this all the time, especially when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. People get all kinds of religious. <laughs> well, I just don't think God does that anymore. Well, we'll read your Bible. You don't have to read the whole Bible. Read the book of Acts and see what the Holy Spirit does. See what Jesus can do. We're meant to experience the fullness of Jesus. And the way we do it is just like the centurion who didn't have it all figured out. 
He couldn't even give you a full explanation of all that Jesus could do or who he was. He just said, I trust you. Just speak the word. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you today. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.